Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Gary Nader is a Latin American art dealer with galleries in Miami and New York. He's also opened a museum in Miami. He's a tireless advocate for Latin American artists. This conversation took place in early November over Skype. I thought one of the things we could just talk about simply is the state of the Latin American market, especially since we're seeing, you know, uh, artists like uh, Vifredo Lam have such prominence in places like the Tate uh, and how the, those markets uh, sort of diverge in the sense that there is a Latin American mar- market uh, all its own, as opposed to so many of the prominent artists in the Latin American market are also uh, global artists uh, sought out and collected everywhere. Listen, it's been the situation for, for many, many years. Uh, the Latin American market was practically created by the auction houses, which at, at one point, it served its purpose because it was to promote the, uh, the area. But names like uh, Wilfredo Lam, Botero, Mata, Torres Garcia, and some other names now, has always been in the uh, mainstream. They're all collected by major collectors worldwide that don't collect other Latin American artists. And they're in most of the most important museums in the world. Um, as you know, we've been working to promote this for the last 35 years, and we've been extremely successful because we own the largest collection of Latin American masters in the world, and Botero. We own over 150 pieces because we still believe that the market is it's, it's progressing, but it's pretty much behind, and I'll say why. Uh, when I started this business, I mean, Lam and Matt and Montero were selling for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And of course, the other masters from other uh, countries like and, and regions like Europe and America were selling over millions of dollars. Today, we have Mata paintings, Botero, Tamayo, and Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo selling for 10, 12, 15 million dollars, which for some people might seem a lot. But when you have uh, Rothko and and Tomley and you know the uh, Kooning selling for over hundreds of millions of dollars, it doesn't seem that we're catching up. That is that that's what's going on. But nevertheless, like you say, the show of of Lam in in the Guggenheim in the uh, Pompidou, then at the Reina Sofia, now at the Tate, the show of uh, Torres Garcia and the others at the MoMA, et cetera, et cetera, it helps. But that doesn't mean that there is a long way to go. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are seeing a lot of recognition on, on contemporary artists uh, as well in international media. But to be honest with you, I, I would like to see the auctions uh, include in the, in the Impressionist and Modern Art or post-war more Latin American artists, because it will give us a, a, another dimension. Talk to me a little bit about how Botero became um, collected in places like Singapore and more broadly in Asia. Well, Botero is a, is a worldwide name. Nobody has the name of Botero, I can't tell you. The recognition of his art 
is uncomparable because people relate very easy to him. And we have done, and he himself has done a tremendous job promoting his art in major museums. Uh, the Museum of Shanghai and the Museum of, Pekin, of Beijing had two million visitors each. We have sold over 20 monumental sculptures in the middle, on, on, on Asia. Even in the Middle East, it's becoming extremely popular. Uh, I, I say, like, you know, he's a trademark. And that is, that is very important in the art market. And what there is in every major museum in the world. Some art critics uh, are against, you know, realism art, as, as you know. And, and, but listen, he's in every major museum in the world uh, and very much respected. Uh, they see him as a very commercial artist, but I, I don't understand which artist is not commercial unless they don't collect when monies when they sell something. Well, when Botero, those collectors come to you, um, is it because they've seen his work in uh, museums? Or of is course. it or it's not because they've um, seen the work in, in their peers' houses or uh, because they've been introduced by traveling to Miami? No, no, no. Botero is a worldwide name, sir. It's, it's just amazing. I, I, listen, I, I, have, I have to understand what's going on. Not because everybody knows that we have the largest collection in the world. We own over 50 sculptures, 15 monumental sculptures, over 45 paintings. So people come to us to, to look at what we have and try to buy the best. But the thing is that a lot of collectors that have Picasso and, and Matisse and Chagall has, have a Botero sculpture, for example. And a lot of collectors that have modern art love to, to, to have uh, a Botero piece in, in, in their garden as well. Uh, the phenomenal of Botero, it's, like I say, it's, it, it's not because we are only in Miami pushing for it. It's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. No, we get over... 100 emails a week request Boteros from, you know, the Middle East, the Far East, uh, every city in Latin America, United States. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much amazing the wide market that he has. And even though we sell some pieces for over $2 million, we still think he's very, pretty much undervalued, pretty much undervalued for the name that he has and the curriculum that he has. Botero has over 200 books published. He just came out with a new book from Azulin. Uh, and the museum shows that he has done is unprecedented. Listen, the phenomenon of Botero is because people like him, you know? He's a very likable artist. And people identify themselves with their sculptures and their paintings. And when people say, well, Botero has produced too much, let me tell you what, but Botero, it's, 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 what, one of the very few artists that only produce paintings and sculptures. He didn't produce any other Boteros, many other artists. It's not that many. And when his market is growing exponentially, they're going to become very scarce because, you know, uh, it's the worldwide collection that, uh, that he has. Everybody's collecting him. So at, one, at certain point, we might see there are a lot of out there in the market. But, you know, when, when you're selling Boteros in Egypt and India, and, and like you say, Singapore, Japan, China, they loved him. I mean, I'm telling you, we got two million paying visitors in Shanghai and, and 
and, uh, and Beijing. When we did the exhibition in Mexico, Museo de Bellas Artes, it broke the record of Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo together. Do you understand that phenomenon? It's impossible to compare. No, it's it's very clear that he has <laughs> that kind of footprint that very few artists have. Uh, and so much of it is because he's so recognizable. His work is clearly his own. Exactly. Uh, let's just turn it the other way around. I assume you also have a fairly uh, large client base in South and Central America. That is correct. What are they, those collectors, buying? Listen, everybody try, with means try to buy the four or five uh, top artists, Lam, Mata, Botero, Tamayo, Torres Garcia. And also now, you know, there is special interest in uh, Armando Morales, who happens to be the most important Central American artist. The problem with Armando Morales is that, unfortunately, uh, he didn't have the, uh, the willing to do museum shows and publications and he was a very laid-back artist, and he did most of his 20 shows in the same galleries. But uh, the maestry is, is recognizable. Uh, and there is a major collector from Nicaragua that has over 200 pieces, and he's going to open a museum of his name. Because he's a very important artist. He's collected. You cannot have a complete collection of Latin American masters without Armando Morales. And also the situation today with Brazilian art is very peculiar. Because... Even no matter that Brazil is in, in, in the condition that everybody knows it is, his artists have given major prices internationally. Not, they are not sold and bought like in the five, uh, like they were, it was happening in between 2008 and 2014 14 or 13 because of the problems on the last two years. But you don't see the Brazilians selling their art for cheaper prices. The same thing that happened with Mexico in uh, when the tequila uh, situation happened. It was called the tequilazo when everybody was in problems. People in Mexico were selling their second homes, their private planes and their yachts, and they were not selling their art. There is a feeling of national nationalism in Latin America with their art that don't exist anywhere else. It's, it's pretty amazing. The last thing that a collector will sell is their collection. And that says a lot about the passion they have from for the own, uh, for the own art. Before, Mexicans were collecting Mexicans, Venezuelans were collecting Venezuelans, Argentinians were collecting Argentinians, so on and so forth. But now, you know, they want to have uh, the Argentinians want to have the most important Cuban, the most important Mexican, the most important Venezuelan, and and it's happening. And that's a good thing for the market. Also, it's, it's becoming very much international. But that puts a lot of pressure when you're trying to acquire Brazilian artists, uh, especially the, the now sort of classic uh, Brazilian artists who are being promoted uh, beyond the region, you know, as uh, overlooked uh, abstract masters. Uh, it's very hard then to get work to come to market with people to sell. Yeah, there's not that, ma that many artworks. And, and they have become, the top Brazilian artists have become extremely expensive. When you talk about Adriana Barajan, Beatriz Milases, uh, Willy de Castro, I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Even though they're still collected much more in Brazil, and you have to understand that Brazil is a continent by itself. It's, you know, it's 220, 230 million people. And, and the, wealth, the wealth in Brazil is 
pretty pretty big. It's, it, it, I mean, you know, they're having trouble, but there's still a lot of people that want to collect their art, and, and they're extremely wealthy, and they're protecting the market. If you go to Rio and Sao Paulo, there are a couple hundred galleries with Brazilian art. The problem in Brazil that you don't see foreign art because, you know, the taxation is about 40% to import something, and that prevents the country from receiving national patrimony. It's a, it's a stupid mistake. It's, it's a, a gargantuan, a stupid error to try to place uh, a piece of art like a pair of shoes because, you know, they don't want the monies to escape from, from for other... But art shouldn't be treated like that. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. I mean, they will never have an international patrimony if they keep with these rules of charging 40% import tax. Well, but nevertheless, they protect their artists very well. And, uh, and, and you see most of the galleries in the international art fairs. Especially when there are a number of uh, galleries in New York and London now specifically promoting the estates of uh, Brazilian artists, it will make it even harder. Not only that, not only that. When I started this business, uh, there was no gallery with Latin American art. The only place you can find, and I did that, I did, that's where I based my, my success, is that I moved to Paris and I bought every lamb, every mata, every botero, every Torres Garcia that I found and brought into America. And uh, that created an important basis of, of recognition for us, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why the prices or today, in part, are so important in those artists, because they were more recognizable in Europe than in our, our countries. But now it's different. Uh, you know, you see Cuban uh, patrons buying Cuban art on the millions of dollars. And, mat and Chileans buying matas on the millions of dollars. And, and but, you know, Botero sells on the millions of dollars in Colombia and everywhere else. Now, every major gallery in the world, and I'm telling you, all the great galleries, they even have one, two or three Latin American artists because they're understanding the quality that is produced in Latin America, specifically Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, and Colombia. I mean, uh, you don't have to separate them being Colombian, Mexican, or Brazilians. They're just contemporary, amazing artists. And they don't like to be known as Latin American artists. They want just to be in the mainstream, which is very valuable for them. Well, I, anyone going to those specific Latin American sales uh, has to accept that the majority of the work in those sales uh, is of a caliber that could be in any contemporary uh, art or 20th century art sale as well. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, you see a, uh, Orozco and you see a Diana Barajan and you see Beatriz Milases or you see Diego or you see a Torres Garcia, La Moramata in the, con in the contemporary sales. We would like to see more of that. I strongly believe uh, uh, that the Latin American sales should disappear because they serve a purpose. But instead of helping those major artists and the major contemporary artists of uh, alive today, they, they don't seem very well to, to do the job. And most of the people that are collecting top artists are not buying them in the, in, in the, uh, in the uh, Latin American art sales because unfortunately the quality is not there anymore. Look, if you take a catalog from 1981, 82, 80, up to 85, 87, the quality, it's, it's far, far from what you see today, but it's not the auction's fault, it's that there's no more. 
it's extremely difficult to find a high-end quality Mata Lam or Botero Torres Garcia or Mata. Extremely difficult. Very difficult. Before you could you could have 20 in the market. Today, if you have one, sometimes you see even catalogs of Latin American art without a Lam or without a Mata. Because or a good Torres Garcia, because there is no more. And people who own them don't want to sell them. Uh, is that is it because they don't want to sell them or that they've donated them to museums and they're no longer on the market? Both. Both. And the market has grown so, so big because remember what I just told you. Mexicans are buying, uh, you know, Torres Garcia. They're buying Mata. They're buying Lamb. They're buying Botero. It's not like but Colombians were buying Botero only before, like before. So these are international artists. And and just to to say a Latin American sell and try to put it together and make your sell, it's quite impossible. It's quite what, impossible. What about the museum infrastructure? I mean, there's been some museum building in Mexico. Uh, you know, two or three have just recently opened in the last few years. Uh, Brazil has a number of uh, important museums. Are there going to be more sort of uh, a pan American museums uh, being yeah, built? Yeah, of course. Listen, there is only one important Latin American museum in the world today. Uh, actually, there are two because we just opened a museum in Miami with a, a collection of over 200 artists and a thousand pieces. But existing museums worldwide, it's only us and, and, and the Malva collection, the Constantini collection in Argentina. Other museums uh, collect mostly international art and, and they don't promote Latin American art as itself. Which is very valid, of course, because listen, if you cannot have a Latin American art museum, it's better if you have something else. The problem with the Latin American art museums is that to put together a seminal collection is extremely difficult. It took us 40 years to buy what we have. Even if you start with a couple hundred million dollars today, it will be very difficult to put it together because you can't find the pieces. Yes, but usually uh, uh, the best museums are founded on multiple collections donated uh, from various sources and then filled in, uh, you know. Yeah, but that dozens and dozens of years. Yes. You can have it from one day to another. And the problem today is that most of the museums uh, the last 20 years are dedicating more resources to the buildings than to the collections. And yes. that's the phrase. Specifically with what's happening in, in Miami, I mean, they spend $300 million in a museum and there is no art. So even Bilbao, that was a hugely successful museum, still doesn't have a permanent collection because they spend so much money building these museums that the artists were the architects, not the museum inside, what is inside. But uh, that mistake will disappear because you might see the building a couple of times, but you can come and see them home a hundred times yeah. because of what they have inside. And, and in Latin America, that is extremely difficult. There is no, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, most of the collectors are, are spares. And, and that makes it even more difficult to put them together. I just saw an exhibition of Mexican art at the Grand Palais when I went to visit FIAC. And there were probably 200 pieces. There was probably 180 collectors. So you don't see that one collector has a massive collection with very few exceptions. That, that really is the problem. Not, not enough weight in the market or one person able to sort of set a reference and become the basis of a museum. 
it's doable. I'm not saying it's not doable. But to repeat it again, what I see that could be uh, really benefit if we start opening smaller museums worldwide with contemporary Latin American art. And, you know, forget about Botero, Mata, Lam, Torres, Garcia, Tamayo. We can build major museums with art from the 60s until today. And you'll be surprised at the quality because contemporary art today in Latin America is as good as anywhere in the world. Well, anywhere in the world. besides the names you mentioned er- earlier, uh, who are the Latin American artists you think are going to be lasting who are just emerging today? Well, there are many. There are many. You have uh, Big Muñiz. Uh, you have, uh, um, like I said, Adriana Barajan. You have um, Beatriz Milases. You have uh, um, Orozco in Mexico. You have uh, Los Carpinteros in, Cu- in Cuba. Of course, you have on the second tier masters that are not as popular as the ones that I mentioned, like like Cruz Diaz and, and Soto and, and Julio Lepard that are becoming mainstream. You know, it's an evolving, evolving situation. We already know who the top 10 masters are, but catching up, there are a few artists uh, like Soto and, and Cruz Diaz and Gego and, and uh, Petoruti and every country has a couple. Well, you mentioned Cruz Diaz. There seems to be a real movement uh, in his market, a sort of broad acceptance. You see them at art fairs everywhere. Uh, they are appearing more frequently in sales across the board. Uh, it, it, is that because of the, um, the museum and the uh, catalogue raisonné that uh, come of out of course, Houston? Of course, And because of his quality and his innovation. I mean... You have to understand that movement of Venezuela with Cruz Diaz and, and Soto and, and uh, Gego. And, uh, it's worldwide. It started in Venezuela, the, uh, the optic art movement and, and, and cinetic movements. And, and now is when they're recognizing. But listen, there's still, there's still a lot to do. Uh, I went to, to, to London for, to Freeze Masters. And of course, I went to see the, the Wilfredo Lamb show, which was pretty amazing. And I went to see the show in, in, in the portrait. And see the uh, abstract expressionism show at the uh, National Gap. And it was amazing, amazing show. But you know what was pitiful? None of the uh, remarks mentioned Mata. Come on, how can they be so irresponsible? Because Mata is practically the father of abstract expressionism. He influenced all of them. You look at a Gorky from 1949, and it looks like a bad Mata from 1938, 12 years later. No mention of Mata, nothing, zero, like he didn't exist. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, it's completely ridiculous. It makes them look, the people who knows about art, it makes the show look bad. And it's an amazing show. Very few times you can see a, a show of the quality of the works that were there. Zero mention of Mata. How? How can this happen? Somebody has to complain and somebody has to say it. Mata influenced Gorky, uh, and you can see it. I mean, a Gorky painting from 10 years later looks like a morphology from Mata from 1938, 1939. He influenced all the abstract expressionism. No mention, zero mention. The most important artist of Latin America 
is the most valued artist in the world. You can buy a masterpiece from Mata for $300,000. It's ridiculous. Is there any um, movement towards doing something similar with Mata uh, that's been done with Lamb? I hope so. We've been hearing that the Guggenheim is putting our retrospective together. We hope so. Because I'm telling you, he is the most influential artist of Latin America. He's the most important artist historically in Latin America. And he is worth pennies compared to his peers. Not only Latin America, worldwide. Even a, a painting sold for five and a half million dollars. But you know, that doesn't make the market. You see matas in, in auctions that are $50,000, $100,000. It's ridiculous. Great paintings. Great paintings. So, you know, even one of the most important galleries in the world took the state of his kit with the space gallery. We have seen no, 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 no change, no difference. Something else has to be done. The catalog sonnet of the first period came out 25 years ago. The second catalog sonnet hasn't come out and somebody has to take care of that. Because it's not selling and selling and selling. You, you know, there have to be meaningful shows. There have to be uh, more books. There have to be more, more. I mean, Mata could fit in any collection in the world. Yes, well, art. but educating the collector base uh, and, and getting them excited and competitive about it is central to getting those prices to go up. Exactly. You know, let, let's talk about Cuba for, for a minute. Do you think this um, opening of Cuba will uh, bring us more Cuban artists? Well, no, not really, because Cuba has never had an embargo in art. All the Cuban artists, certainly Miami and Latin America and even Europe, for the last 15 years, there's no change. What is going to change is when the Cuban people have means to buy their art and they're going to try to retrieve their patrimony, you know, the paintings of Land, Carreño, Mariano, Puerto Carrero, Cundo Bermudez are in Miami or worldwide, are going to raise their prices because these Cubans, eventually they're going to be very rich and eventually they're going to try to buy that art. But different from that, I don't see anything else happening. Los Carpinteros sells in every art fair, the same as Garacoa, the same as uh, John Capote. They're in New York, they're in Europe, they're in Brazil, they're everywhere. So, because they're it opens it, nothing's going to change. But what it will change is when the Cubans in themselves that live in Cuba have buying power. Then the market is going to be another story. Because Cubans are very nationalistic. Well, like this, every American. Well, this, I mean, that's like uh, Zawuki uh, among Chinese. I mean, the, the market uh, appeared for his work when the Chinese wanted to retrieve it from uh, yeah, Europe. He, he, in Paris all his life, and the, you know, his Paintings were practically combining for nothing. Now, they're sending in the millions. The same thing is going to happen with those top six, seven artists of what we call the Cuban vanguard. But with contemporary art, nothing has changed. It's not going to change. Of course, the poor artist that sells or the young artist that sells between five and $15,000 in Cuba, they're going to have massive sales that they couldn't have before because you have more tourism. Of course, that will change. But... Quality-wise, the top artist is not going to change until the Cubans have more buying power. And and is there any other country that is sort of under-recognized, uh, under-represented? Not really. Huh? Colombian is coming up with all a lot of young artists, and Brazil, and Brazil has always been there, and Argentina. Uh, but there, you know, 
20 some other countries that we don't know who their artists are. It's a phenomenon because in their own country, they sell for 20, 30, 50, even $100,000. And the patrons from their own country buy them, but they're not recognizing the international market, but they still have their own market in their own countries. Ivan Tovar, for example, Ivan Tovar is a late surrealist artist from Dominican Republic. We pay over $100,000 for him. You put him at auction and they sell for 30, 40. You see them in the art fairs in Europe from time to time because he lived in Paris until the late 80s, uh, late 70s. And he's very much recognizable. He's in every major book of surrealism. And he's a national star. He's a rock star in Dominican Republic. But if you ask a Mexican, who would they know who he is? And it happens a lot. There are even Mexican artists that sells for 40, 50, $100,000 in Mexico, and you don't know who they are. You don't even see them in the auctions. But that happens in every country in the world. The auction is not the only means of selling. And, and eventually that gives you more uh, uh, supply. If they're good artists who are undervalued out there, uh, there's, there's more work to gather and to uh, uh, you know, get people interested in buying. That is correct. Well, Gary, I think I have uh, uh, everything I need. This is great. Thank you, sir. Anything, call me back. Let me know what you need. Sounds great. Talk to you soon. I appreciate, appreciate that people like you are taking interest in our art. It's, it's what we need. We need to keep promoting it. Thank you for listening to the Intelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 